Hey, good morning. Thank you for being here. Hey, uh, before we get going, um, there are a couple things going on. That is like the understatement of all history. There are a lot of things going on. There are a couple things going on specifically, though, that um, just personally, my own heart has been stirred to pray over. And in a, in a culture that you've probably noticed this, we live in a culture that when, when the idea of thoughts and prayers comes out, uh, they, they take it as a, a, as a statement of a lack of action. Um, and what, what I'm reminded of when it comes to thoughts and prayers for us as followers of Christ is that it's not so much about asking God what to do, that's certainly part of it, but how we go about what we do. And so specifically, as, as I'm sure you've watched over the last week, what is unfolding and taking place in Afghanistan um, as U.S. troops withdraw from there, uh, I moved to pray. Um, and I'm reminded that um, whether it was the loss of life this last week or the angst in getting out of there and the uncertainty of the future, um, we can do the work of prayer because there's certainly nobody in here can take a flight over there right now, but we can do and we can ask for God to do what truly only God can do. And the second thing uh, has to do with our neighbors on the Gulf Coast. I know we don't always think of the Gulf Coast as neighbors here in landlocked Colorado, but as whether it's tropical storm or hurricane hits the Gulf Coast, um, we think of them as well. So will you join me in prayer, and then we will, we will dive into the word. Heavenly Father, we come before you, uh, even with your word to us last week in mind, that you are the sovereign God of all things. And so as we look across our globe, across our nation, at things we cannot control, all we can do uh, when it feels like we can't do anything, we know we can do the best thing, and that's to come to you. And so, Lord, whoever it is you are arranging to put in place, Lord, we pray that they go with your assurance, but we pray more than anything that your name would be known and that people would know Jesus in all situations. We pray for peace and comfort for the families of those lost, whether they were um, citizens of Afghanistan um, or whether they were U.S. military members. Uh, and we also pray for peace of mind, for protection, for all those affected by the incoming storm along the Gulf Coast. And Lord, if there is a way that you want to use us, open our eyes to that. Keep us sensitive to your leading. And as we talk about today, whatever you tell us in the dark, Lord, let us proclaim it and step into it in the daylight from the rooftops. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking a moment. Um, question for you. Have you noticed, I mean, have you ever just really, really, really thought about what nighttime does to us? I mean, there's some obvious stuff, right? Now, let's start with the most obvious. You, you can't see at nighttime. Duh, Nathan, we know that. But it gets, it gets really fun when, when you're watching somebody who can't really see. Our, our, we have a camera on our driveway, and one of our daughter's friends was being dropped off at our house. This was like a month ago. And it was nighttime. It was like nine at night. And this friend of Lainey's gets out of this SUV and just falls right into the grass of our front yard. And, and I'm watching this on, on the camera because I heard all the screaming. So I was like, I need to watch this. And, and now it's like my favorite video. And the reason it's my favorite video is because it was a spot on the lawn. I, you know, I had a lawn business years ago. And so one of the things you can do to kind of rejuvenate soil in a lawn is put down manure. Yeah, she fell there. 
and I never told her. So, um, you know, there's, there's that dynamic of nighttime and darkness. Um, there's, there's a rhythm piece to it. How many early risers in here? Okay, let me clarify. Some of you are teenagers and you think early rising is anything before 10 a.m. No, I'm talking single digits, but like early single digits. Let's go like 5 or 6 a.m. Yeah, we've got some early risers in here. And if you're an early riser, you know there's a time come afternoon, late afternoon, where you go, it's coming. It's coming. It's time to start getting ready for bed. For me, that's about 4 p.m., okay? And... Um, and what happens is those who are not early risers, uh, we just get a bad rap from all you guys. I, my, my wife, she frequently has the idea, let's watch a movie. And I'm like, it's, it's 8 o'clock. Like, that's like midnight. <laughs> and so what will happen is she'll interrogate me. Are you going to stay awake? Yes, I'm going to stay awake, hon. I, I, like with all the determination in me, I'm going to stay awake. 15 minutes in, just... So I can't tell you how many movies I have literally watched like this, right? Because there's a rhythm piece that, that the nighttime and darkness does to us. Or our kids, they'll say, I'll be laying with them as they go to bed. And usually they end up putting me to bed is what happens. Um, they'll say, Dad, will you pray? And I'll go, you know what? Why don't you pray? Let's, let's have you practice. And they go, no, you're a pastor. It's your job. You need to pray. And then they regret me praying because what happens is I, I drift off as we're praying. It starts with, Heavenly Father, you're, you're so holy. Thank you that you would even include us in anything you do. And no joke, two weeks ago, I wake up and, and True, our, our, middle, our middle one, our youngest daughter, she's hitting me in the face. Dad, Dad, you just said thank you for bacon. And, and I went, what? <laughs> I mean, amen and hallelujah. We should thank him for bacon. But things just, just come out, you know, when, when the bodily rhythm switches into night mode. Uh, for others of us, we get mischievous. Something happened just this last two weeks that I saw it and I went, normalcy has returned. We, this is the sign we're emerging from the pandemic. I'm driving out of our neighborhood and I look to the left and there is a house and trees covered in toilet paper. And I went, teepeeing is back, it's back. And then I thought, I better go get all that because if we hoard this again, we are going to be rich <laughs> or well taken care of. But, you know, nobody goes teepeeing. Unless you're Ryan Long, nobody goes teepeeing in the daytime at all. Others of us, we get more comfortable at night, right? I mean, let's just, let's just take darkness, for example. If we were to just shut all the blinds in here, and, and some churches will do this. If we were to lower all the lights and have music... You know what would happen? My singing voice would get a lot louder because nobody could identify where that sound is coming from, right? We, get, we sometimes get a little more comfortable in the darkness and in the night. But whether it's a literal darkness or it's a figurative darkness, there is one thing that whether you refer to it as night, whether you refer to it as darkness, there is one thing that it does to all of us at some point in our lives, and often over and over, and it's fear. It brings about fear. And it's very interesting what happens when we're afraid of the dark. With that in mind, let me read, let me read something that Jesus said to his disciples. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. It's really interesting here because there's 
all this language of light in scripture, and yet Jesus says, what I tell you in the dark. And you know what? The enemy knows that. And the enemy, if he can do anything, you know what he wants to do? He wants to make us afraid of the dark. Interesting things happen when you're scared of the dark, don't they? I mean, you'll avoid going places you need to go. Our kids will stand. Their bedrooms are at the top of the stairs. There's a light switch right there, but they will stand at the base of the stairs, and they will say, you go first, because this is what we do when we're scared of the dark, right? Or, I don't know if you've noticed this, when you're walking through a dark building, and it's just you, how does every scary movie you have ever seen culminate into like a super horror movie in your mind? And this building's the worst. If you've ever walked in here, I mean, and, and churches are always where it happens in scary movies, right? But I remember walking in here one night, it was totally dark, and I, I, I'm praying my way up this aisle. Like, Lord, please protect me because of that one movie and that one movie. And it's just, we get so scared of the dark, whether literal or figurative, darkness. But finally, you know what we do? We often hit a switch. During a time that maybe is meant for us to rest, to be still, you know what we'll do? We'll hit a switch. We'll turn to something that we think brings light into our lives, won't we? And see, there is this truth about darkness that you can see all over the pages of Scripture, but you can see all over the pages of our lives. That darkness, it will disorient you, and then it will distract you. It will disorient you, and then it will distract you. The, uh, some of you have heard of the author Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, um, for a piece that he wrote for the, I believe it was the New Yorker, he, he wanted to study what happened to John F. Kennedy Jr. when John F. Kennedy Jr.'s plane went down. And so as he did some research, what he discovered is JFK Jr.'s plane went into what's called a spiral dive. And um, so Malcolm Gladwell, he, he wanted to discover what this must have been like. And so he found a, a trained pilot, and they went uh, up over Monterey Bay, California. And the pilot purposely <clears throat> put the plane into a spiral dive. Now, what's interesting is actually not what happened. They were able to come out of it. But mid-spiral, what the pilot said to him. The pilot said, do you, do you realize what's happening right now? And Malcolm Gladwell, he said, no. I have no idea. It feels normal. And the pilot said, oh, we're, we're in the spiral right now. And the way you come out of a spiral dive is not to give the plane more power because that just gives more power to the spin. It, you start spinning like a top. Instead, you actually idle. You idle and you pull the nose up and it pulls you out. And so as the pilot did this, Malcolm Gladwell describes the, just the G-forces that pulled him back in his seat. And as he wrote in the New Yorker, he said, it is amazing how quickly we entered that disorientation and didn't even realize we were in it, or at least Malcolm didn't realize he was in it. And I thought, huh, that is a picture of what the darkness does to us. It disorients us, and then it distracts us. And, and there are times that you and I, you don't need anybody to tell you this, this is not new information. There are times the darkness will cause you to see things that aren't there and believe things that aren't true. And for you and I as followers of Christ, you know what the enemy wants to do in the darkness? He wants to make you believe that God has somehow abandoned you, neglected you, excluded you. And so for all this language of light that you see throughout Scripture, I mean, Jesus, the light of the world, I find Matthew 10 so interesting, the context here. Because when he says that sentence that we just read, 
When he says this, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. It's in the midst of the light of the world sending his disciples out into, as you read what he says, into the darkness. In fact, he looks at him. He looks at his 12 disciples. He says, okay, I'm sending you out. And you're not to take any money. I don't want you to take a bag. I don't want you to take sandals. I don't want you to take a staff. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, okay? And, and I'm sure they were, nobody was excited there. But then he goes on. And he says, what's going to happen is they're, they're going to flog you. At which point, I imagine a few people kind of escaped out the back. They're going to flog you. They're going to take you into court. They're going to drag you before governors. You're not going to know what to say. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to flee. In fact, what you see them do to me, they're going to do to you. And as you read all this, you, 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 you can just, you didn't have to be standing there. You could read it, and you can imagine yourself in their shoes. And what, what's rising up? Fear. That's that fear that the darkness brings about. And some of what he said to them that day was specific to them. It was specific to what they were to do that day and age. And some of what he said to them that day was really for future disciples. Things that they would, future disciples would encounter that I'm not sure you and I have even encountered and maybe never will because it seems to point to a global persecution that we have not landed at yet. Because all you have to do is look around and, and you, can, you could probably, we could all arrive at the statement that things could get a whole lot worse, couldn't they? But then there's something he has to say that I believe applies to them. It applies to future disciples, but it applies to us this day and age as well. He begins talking about the idea of fear. And in the midst of all of it, let's read it again. He says, and what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Because what Jesus was getting at there is that they are going to come up against the world that is going to try to tell them how it is. And Jesus is reminding them that it's what I tell you that is the truth. It's what I tell you in the dark that you're going to need to see with. And you're going to need to proclaim when you go out in the daylight. And you're going you're gonna to need the, the lack of fear. You're going to need all the courage that I give you in order to say these things. Now, you hear all that, and I know where we go. We go to this place where we, we ask ourselves, would I have that kind of courage? I mean, could I say some of those things to a hostile world, walking out into the darkness, to a dark world? Could I say some of these things? And I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'm scared, it is the testimony of somebody who has maybe gone through that situation before me that God uses to fill me with divine courage. I mean, I've shared about roller coasters, right? And I can't tell you how many times, how many times I've had to be prayed onto a roller coaster in my life. But along with that was somebody going, look, I went and it's fine. And, and that's not comforting at all, actually. But when they can describe the specifics of what they went through, there is something that helps me go, okay. All right, Six Flags, years ago, the whole youth group is on, I don't know if you've ever been to Six Flags, oh, I can't think of, it's in California. Anyway, they got the Superman ride. 
And basically you go zero to a thousand in about two seconds and um, somehow the ride stops you from rocketing into the atmosphere. But um, then it drops you back down and I just went, I'm not going. And I started getting called a sissy because of, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ are so encouraging, you know? And so um, finally this guy starts praying over me. He's like, perfect love casts out all fear. And I was like, well, I don't know if he meant a roller coaster when he, when he said that, but I'll take it. <clears throat> all that said, my question for us is how often do we listen to the testimonies being spoken to us in Scripture? Because if you were to just take a, a little stroll through Scripture, you know what you'd hear? You would hear testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of what God said to people just like you and I, whose darkness is not too different from yours and mine, figuratively maybe literally, where God showed up. These last three weeks, we've been talking about some of it. Remember Jacob a few weeks ago? Literally wrestling God in the night. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you look around at your life right now, and life is just a wrestling in the night with God. That next week, we talked about Joshua. And Joshua, I mean, Joshua's whole life just looks like victory, 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 victory. And what we forget is that before he ever got to victory, 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 where was he? He was in the tent of meeting, you know, where Moses would meet with God. But when Moses would leave the tent, we read that Joshua was still in there. Maybe that's what it looks like for you. When everybody around you seems to be choosing, you know, the Israelites were making the idols and they were complaining and they were griping and, and they suddenly didn't, didn't believe God knew what he was doing. There was Joshua in the tent, face to face, face down on the ground with God. Or maybe it was like we talked about last week, Daniel. You know, Daniel in the midst of the darkness of the Babylonian culture that he was surrounded by for decades on end. Where was he? He was facing out the window, praying to the sovereign God, the most high God who is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men. And Daniel understood. He gives them to anyone he wishes. Maybe that describes you. Or maybe, maybe you could visit Genesis and you could sit down and you would benefit from hearing Adam and Eve recount their story to you. Because the, the darkness that Adam and Eve were facing was really a darkness that was brought about by their own choices, wasn't it? They thought they knew best. And when you get through, what you, what you realize is Adam and Eve are sitting there naked, literally naked and afraid. And they're hiding from God. And they suddenly realize that they're so vulnerable but what I love about their story, in the midst of their darkness, what does God do? He takes away their fig leaves and he clothes them under the banner of sacrifice with animal skins. Maybe some of you would benefit from sitting down with Joseph. Joseph, who came later in Genesis. Joseph, he, he had these two dreams at the age of 17. And when he told his brothers, they got so mad and they got so jealous that they threw him in a pit. He was sold into slavery. He ends up in prison. And it would be 22 years of this figurative darkness. He would be 39 years old when suddenly he looked around his life and he realized, oh my goodness, those dreams that God gave me at age 17, it's happening. 
But that's not the Joseph you'd benefit from sitting down with. The one you'd benefit from sitting down with, maybe this is you, maybe you're in the middle of a long stretch of dark. It's the Joseph that was in the prison in Genesis 39. Because you know what it says three times in Genesis 39? And God was with him. And God was with him. And God was with him. If you're in the middle of a long stretch where it's just like, where is the light, literal light at the end of the tunnel of all this? Maybe you'd benefit listening to Joseph. For others in here, you may relate to a man once possessed by a demon. This man possessed by a demon, he encounters Jesus one day, and you know what his question was? What have you to do with me, Jesus? Why would you come to me? Jesus, is that you this morning? Because maybe you look around at your life and you go, why would you want anything to do with me, Jesus? And you know what the great testimony of the man who Jesus freed from demon possession was? Is in the middle of it, Jesus said, what's your name? What's your name? This man who had been driven to solitary places, Jesus said, what's your name? And when the demon or demons spoke legion, Jesus said, no, no, not anymore. And he sent them into a herd of pigs. And when the man suddenly was so drawn to Jesus that he wanted to go with him, you know what Jesus did? He gave him a testimony. He said, no, no, you can't go with me, but go and tell all that God has done for you. Still others in here. Maybe you'd benefit listening to the words of the dad of a boy possessed by a demon. He came to Jesus' disciples and he said, look, this this." demon possession. It throws my child on the ground. It tries to throw him in the water. It tries to throw him in the fire. It's been doing this his whole life. And the disciples couldn't do anything about it. Just over and over and over, darkness taking hold. And you know what has actually happened when you read the story? Is this father in this family has so rehearsed what darkness has done to their loved one over and over and over. And for some of us, that's the darkness that we contend with. We've so focused on, we've gotten so disoriented by, we've gotten so distracted by the deeds that the darkness has carried out. And then it's interesting what the man says next. He says, but Jesus, if you can do anything. Do you catch the, the contrast there? He looks at what evil has done to his son, and he knows exactly what it's capable of. But he looks at Jesus, and he goes, Jesus, what are you capable of if you can do anything? And Jesus says, if I can. And then Jesus acts in a way that answers this man's prayer when he says, help my unbelief. In the really interesting piece of that story and that account is that when the man said, help my unbelief, Jesus acted in a way that answered that prayer, but it looked worse before it got better. Because the boy goes into convulsions, and then finally Jesus lifts him to his feet. And if you've ever watched somebody in the middle of a seizure, it looks worse before it gets better. It does. And maybe that's the darkness that you're staring at right now. I'd remind you of the woman at the well, that Jesus encounters her when she comes to get a drink from the well. And as they begin talking, and they begin talking about water and thirst, and not just physical thirst and water, but but spiritual thirst, and the quenching of that spiritual thirst, Jesus, Jesus shares some truth about her life. He says, you know what? You've been numb. You've been numb. You haven't just had one husband. You've had five 
You've had five because you're thirsty. You're thirsty. There's something in you that you're trying to quench. And the testimony is that Jesus, you know what he didn't do? He didn't run away from the well. He stayed right there with her. There was the woman brought before him who was caught in adultery. And while everyone else knew what she did and they said, the law says we should stone her. And you know what? They were right. While they all attacked her, and and maybe that's your darkness, you're just feeling attacked right now and you know they're right. You know what Jesus did? He defended her. And in the process of defending her, her attackers went away. Or maybe a couple more. Maybe you relate to Peter. Peter, remember, he just sat there at the nets all night long, straining at the nets. And it gets to be morning, and he's got nothing. We all know that place, don't we? Where the best of your efforts yields nothing. It's nothing but wasted time, and you're exhausted, and you're tired all through the night. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, hey, why don't you, why don't you try my way? Why don't you just throw the nets over there? And Peter, the fisherman, who knows everything about fishing, goes, all right, if you say so. And what happens? The nets are so full that they're starting to tear at the seams, and the boat's beginning to sink because of what Jesus did after the darkness. Or maybe, finally, you can relate to the darkness of the man we now know as Paul. Paul who knew so much. Paul who, who, the very work he was carrying out, going after Christians, those who followed Christ, was the exact opposite of what God wanted. But Paul thought he knew because he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And maybe that's your darkness. I know it's been mine where we think we've got the answer for all things and we know exactly what God wants of us. And what happened? He had to be knocked from his horse. He had to be knocked down. He had to be blinded. And the testimony of Jesus is this, what he said to a man named Ananias. Ananias knew of Paul's reputation and he went, him? You want me to take care of him? And God said, yes, because this man is my chosen. Now, that was a dozen or so examples of testimonies that if we would just open up the word God would have something to say to us in our darkness because you would see the testimony of people in the middle of their darkness. And now whether you relate to any of those or not, maybe my favorite is that of of King David, Psalm 17, verse three. You know what he says? You have visited me in the night. You have visited me in the night. See, whether it's David or it's Adam and Eve or it's Jacob or it's Daniel or it's the woman at the well or whoever it is, or whether it's you or whether it's me, you know what? You know what's true? Is that the darkness that has disoriented you has not deterred Jesus one bit. You've perhaps heard of that incredible poem. It's like 182 lines. If you've never read it, take some time this afternoon. Francis Thompson. He wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven. And as you read that poem in Old English language, and it takes four hours to get through because you're trying to interpret Old English, there's this thing that keeps coming up. This hound of heaven. Something, someone up there just pursued and pursued and pursued and pursued. And and while we sit in the darkness and we think God has left us, the truth is he has gone nowhere. 
And while Adam and Eve, they were clothed with skins. And while Paul was knocked off a horse and blinded and then strengthened. And, and, and you could just go on and on through all the accounts. While they got those specific words spoken to them. You know what you and I got? We got a savior on a cross. In the middle of our darkness. If there's anything you and I got to come back to. It's a savior on a cross in the midst of our darkness. But a lot of times, you know what we do? This was, this, this was like May of 2016. We do what this man in Israel did. There's a man in Haifa, the port city of Israel. He goes to court. He appears before a judge. The judge says, hello, what are you here for? And he said, I want to file a restraining order. The guy said, okay, against who? And he said, God. I would like to file, and a man actually tried to file a restraining order against God because God was being so hostile toward him, he said. And I read that, and I laughed, and I thought, but isn't that what we do? See, I think I'm the one who stayed put, and he's bugging me. Truth is, the darkness sends us running, doesn't it? It sends us off disoriented, distracted, and yet the testimony throughout Scripture is he stayed right there. And so, let me come to this statement for a moment. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Have you ever thought about what is being said in the dark to you? And that could be like you're an early riser and you get up early and you set aside some time to be in scripture or in prayer. But oftentimes, I think it's a very figurative darkness. In fact, if you were to look at the root word here, it references both. It could be a literal dark. It could be a figurative one. Have you ever thought about it? And I don't know about you, but it helps me to look at this, this statement through the lens of what he isn't saying. First thing he's not saying is what I shout in the dark. I mean, isn't that kind of part of what we want? God, if you would just spell it out in the clouds, if you would just yell it at me, if you would just make it that clear, he says, no, 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 what I tell you. Second thing he doesn't say is what I tell them in the dark. I mean, this is real easy for us to do. I'm just going to piggyback on the fruit of someone else's time with the Lord. And yes, we, we can all be strengthened by that, but there is nothing like like Jacob wrestling it out with God, like Joshua getting face down on the ground before him, like Daniel prioritizing that time, no matter what is surrounding you, no matter what people tell you, there is nothing like the fruit of what he tells you in the middle of the darkness. There's another thing that he doesn't say in here. It's not what I shout. It's not what I tell them. But he doesn't say what I tell you in the light. In the light. See, isn't that, we we not only want to dictate what God tells us, but when he tells us. Like, God, right now would be a really, really good time for you to say something to me. He says, no, no, no. Not not in the busyness of the day when, when everything's all clear. What I tell you in the dark. Not on the mountaintop of inspiration, but maybe down in the valley when things are tough. And finally... What he doesn't say. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the grand stage. 
As I listen to people, as I get together with people, as I, as I just get to hear different stories from people's lives, you know what I, I think we're all looking for? And this is something I've dealt with too. You think, and I think, that unless we have a platform to speak a message from, then we don't have anything to say. Now, the interesting thing, and this is a contextual element that, that deals with the architecture of ancient Israel. Rooftops were not like you and I think of here in Colorado that are, that are you know, you've got this A-frame, this slope, because we get the snow and we get the rain, and it's got to drain off. Rooftops at that time were thought to be flat, common, and public. Flat, common, public. I mean, it seems so ordinary, right? It seems so ordinary. And, and, and as you think about what he would tell you in the dark, specific to you, you know what he's getting at? A testimony. A testimony of his presence in the middle of the darkness. But then he adds to it and he says, and I want you to go tell it. I want you to go find that ordinary, public, common, maybe flat, mundane place in your life. And, and I want you to look around and I want you to proclaim it. See, how, how, rooftops at that time, it was not like there was one in the middle of the city. And a lot of times that's how we think, especially in America, that I've somehow got to be like special and set apart and like really, really highly, highly talented and gifted and all that. He says, no, no, no. For my disciples, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What, what I whisper in your ear, proclaim from the most ordinary of places. And here's what you'll discover. Here's what you'll discover. When you remain still in the dark, you receive something to say in the day. When you remain still in the dark, you receive something to say in the day. I'll never forget years ago, we used to take these uh, winter retreats with the youth group uh, to Pagosa Springs. And uh, I've, shared, I've shared this with some of you before, but David, David uh, Perez over here, he's our youth director, he, um, early on, I had this idea for a lesson, and it involved David. David had to go sit in a closet while I taught this lesson, and it was just, I was, I was saying, David, you got to pay your dues, okay? So um, what we had done is we had hidden $200 bills somewhere on this property that we were staying at, at this house in Pagosa Springs. And so I'm t- talking to the group, and David is sitting in a closet for, I don't know, how long was it, David? Four days, four days, we'll just say that, just to make it dramatic. It was half an hour or so, yeah. Um, And I told the group, we were talking about the riches of what God has to share with us, and what better than just bribe kids with money. So um, I told them, somewhere in this house, somewhere in this house, you will find David hidden, and he is over and over, he is saying the location of these $200 bills. Well, you can imagine, like dozens and dozens and dozens of high schoolers, they didn't even wait for the closing prayer. They just took off. And so they're looking for David, and finally this, this kid finds David in a closet upstairs. And it's so interesting. David, I had told him, just, just whisper the location. But in that room, there were fans on, and there was a, there was a stereo on, and it was just blasting music. And the kid said he opened the door and he found David and he's like, tell me where it is. And David was instructed, just whisper, just whisper. And the kid just keeps screaming at him, tell me where it is. Finally, he got it. He went over, turned off the fans, turned down the music, 
leaned in close and he could hear. In the secret place, in the dark place, the location of a blessing. Because really that's what Jesus has to give us when we'll just get still enough for him to to say something in the darkness. And so at the end of these, these last four weeks, I mean, when we talked about Jacob and we talked about Joshua and we talked about Daniel, honestly, for me, and this is just person, personally a life verse, it, it comes to this, that, that if we could remain still in the dark, we'd receive something to say in the day. And suddenly there is a purpose that shows up in your life. If you're looking around and you're going, what am I doing with my life? Rather than asking God to shout it, could I encourage you to remain still in the darkness? And and maybe the best way to do it is to to start with the literal darkness. What if, if you're an early riser, you got up just a little bit earlier and got still? Or what what if you're a night owl, if you just took a few extra minutes instead of this, right, watching the movie, just stopping? And say, Lord, what do you have to say to me? With all that's going on, with all that's going on in my life, what do you have to say? And if you can't hear anything and you don't know, I'd encourage you to start with where our Savior started in his darkness. Do you remember in his darkest hour? There on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. Redemption has been carried out. You are now right with him if you've trusted your life to what our Savior did there on the cross. And you know what? When you get that, as the worship team comes back up, when you get that, you know what happens? Something really, really interesting takes place. The night suddenly becomes full of light. And meals, you know what happens? They become sacraments. And weekdays become Sabbaths. And valleys become mountaintops. And everywhere you go, you know what it turns into? It turns into holy ground. And every place you stand becomes a pulpit because every, every, every single person in here, you know what you are? You're a preacher. You're a preacher. And just because you don't feel like you have a stage or a platform to stand on, you have a message. You have a pulpit. And the only way you're going to know what to say from there is to get still in that dark place. And I promise, he's never let me down. He is faithful to give you something to say in the day. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, if we could just get still. And for all the emphasis on us, the refrain throughout scripture is not us, it's what you're up to. And so rather than starting with concentrating on how I get still, Lord, draw my eyes and draw our eyes to who you are. Because as Jacob discovered, you are the God who is capable of blessing us. And as Joshua discovered, you are the one in authority far more than the highest authority we could attain. And as Daniel discovered, you are the most high God who is sovereign over all things and all the other people we talked about this morning. If we could get clear on who you are, we couldn't help but to stop and to not move one inch because we're so captured by who you are. Lord, I pray for every single person in here, for every single person watching online. Give us that opportunity. 
whether it's waking us up in the early hours of the morning, keeping us up later hours at night, or maybe it's in the middle of the daytime, but we just sense that we're surrounded by darkness. Let us get still and be reminded that while people flee the darkness and we're, we thrash and we run around, you remain right there with us. Lord, speak to us so that we may go and proclaim your message to all those around us from the rooftops. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.